In honor of Thanksgiving Day, Charlene Habermeyer and I chat about genealogy and the importance of knowing your ancestors. She tells us how she and her husband began their research and how much easier discovering the leaves of your family tree is today with so much information being posted online. Charlene and her husband were blessed with five sons and 13 grandchildren. They know the joys of parenting and grandparenting and the gut-wrenching emotions of losing their fourth son to a brain disorder. Charlene wrote the book, Good Music, Brighter Children, that has been translated into five languages. She taught college for 10 years and founded the Palos Verdes Regional Symphony Orchestra in Southern California that is still going strong. I mentioned I have written a family history book for my grandchildren. It is available for sale on my Etsy shop. The title of the book is My Family Tree. It's a journal for children to use as they begin to discover the facts about their living relatives and their deceased ancestors. The link is in the show notes. Be sure to visit my Twitter account for a discount code. Welcome, Charlene, to the podcast. What got you interested in family history? Well, it was 1985, one of our sons died. And I do believe in a hereafter. And it wasn't that I was trying to communicate with him on the other side. I, I did not have it, you know, I wasn't doing that. But what I did want to find out is I wanted to find out more information about family members that I felt like who would watch over him and take care of him. Now that might sound a little bizarre to some people, but if you get into genealogy and you start doing it and you start researching your family tree, you are drawn to those people and they become very real to you. My husband was very interested in genealogy. In fact, he started probably in 1980. Uh, there was a period of time that we did hire a genealogist because we were trying to get information. And uh, usually genealogists for hire, they go all over the world and they can research uh, and go to graveyards and everywhere. Now you don't need a genealogist because there are sites, ancestry.com, familysearch.org, uh, Ancestry, I think Family Search is free. Ancestry.com is, um, they have levels that you can join and you can access a lot of your relatives if you're interested in getting names and birth dates and death dates and all of that. But what I'm interested in are the stories. So in 1985, that's what I started gathering. And I had talked with both of my grandmothers before they died, not my grandfathers, my one grandfather I never knew. But I would suggest that if you're trying to get stories, you need to go to the oldest living person and you need to talk to them and see if they have any pictures at all. You can scan any pictures that they have. You can write down, you can record them. Uh, we've recorded most of our oldest relatives and uh, they've all passed on now, but we have those recordings and then you can transfer it over to your computer, all of the recordings. So those were the stories. And so when our, our children, our four sons were growing up, the other four, um, we had what we called a genealogy night. And we did it once or twice a month. And I gathered all of these pictures from both my husband's side and my side. Some of them were original pictures. Some of them were copies. Um, and I actually had them matted and framed. And I had a big genealogy wall. And one by one, we would take that person down. We would talk about their life, where they were born some of the things that they enjoyed as children, um, what they were really good at in school, anything that I felt like my sons at that particular age would like hearing about their ancestors. We found one of the ancestors that he invented dustless chalk. We had another ancestor, it was their great-great-grandfather, my children's, um, 
he was a Lutheran minister and he um, gave both an English and a German sermon every Sunday. And when my husband and I were back in Illinois in uh, 2019, we actually went to the church that he was the minister over, pastor, whatever, and we took a bunch of pictures of it and shared it with our, our kids. But those kinds of stories are really interesting. And then what I just recently did with my grandkids is I wanted them, they love to be in nature and their great, great, great grandmother also loved to be in nature. And she was from Sweden. She came to the United States. She had one sister. Her father actually um, worked on an estate in Sweden. And if you go back and you, you read about estate workers and Downton Abbey is a good example, the movie, the, the program. But anyway, um, those children that were born um, of any of the estate workers, they were also educated along with the wealthy children. So my, uh, this grandmother, this great, great grandmother for me, actually, I think it was my great grandmother. She was educated in all the arts and science sciences, even by the age of nine. So then her family came over to the United States. They lived in different states before settling. Uh, I think that they settled in either Utah or Idaho. But she learned, they, she had 13 children and she learned foraging, which is becoming huge right now. That's being able to go out into the wild, being able to identify certain plants and herbs and stuff and, and make them up into tinctures or, or pills or something or teas that you can take for medicinal purposes. So she learned that from the Paiute Indians. And she had these 13 kids that she um, had, she and her husband. And so it came in handy and she loved nature. So I was trying to think of different activities that I could do with our kids. And she would, to relax, as you can imagine with 13 children, she would go on walks at dusk. And so what we decided to do is to go on a walk. And I uh, had a picture of her and I copied the picture of her, had little lanterns that I made up for each of the kids. We did one thing before we walked and um, because she loved nature and she loved plants and trees, I got the book called Strange Trees and it goes into really fun trees, a gum tree, a chocolate tree, a spooky ghost tree, some trees that can walk. It tells you the geography of where those trees are found and so forth. And I, I explained to them that she was a researcher of sorts as well. We took her picture, we took our lanterns and we went to a place and we took this mile long walk and we stopped in the middle of it and we blew a kiss to her in the heavens and thanked her for her example. And she was an extremely kind person. Her children, one of her children was my grandmother. And she always said that all of them called her their angel mother. So it's those kinds of stories that make the person come alive. That was, that was one thing, but we've talked about, we, we did a whole unit. Being a former teacher, Carolyn, and you can relate to this, once a teacher, always a teacher. So I don't, I'm retired now, so I'm, I don't have a classroom. So I make my grandkids my classroom, but we did a whole unit on um, ancestors. And we started with them and then their parents. And then we went back two generations to their great grandmother on, on both sides of, of my husband and I, and then their mother's side of the family as well. And, we and I made up a game that we could play. It was a matching game. I took all their pictures, made doubles of them. And we, we did a matching game on that. And I have a lot of mementos. And I think most people have some mementos of their relatives 
and I brought them out. And I had my grandmother, their great grandmother on my maternal side, she was really good with needlepoint. And I have some of her needlepoint. And one of my grandmothers was a writer and I have some samples of her writing. And so I would suggest to parents definitely interview the oldest living person in your family and record that. And then uh, you can transcribe it and give it to everybody. And like, like you were talking about, Carolyn, about these relatives that you have that are interested in genealogy, it's really interesting. There's usually one more family member that's interested in genealogy. And once you get going, you'll meet all of these other people that may have not known that they were even family members. We just recently connected to a family on my husband's mother's side that we didn't even know that they were around. And through genealogy and family research and so forth, we found them and now we're, we're great friends. We connected on Facebook and Instagram. And this is what happens when you start looking for your relatives. I, I think it's fascinating. I have really enjoyed doing the research and learning about my family. But for people who have not started and who think it's overwhelming, why is learning about your ancestors important? That's a really good question. And I, I'd have to go back to my original. I, I believe that someday we'll meet them. And you have influence over two generations, your kids and your grandkids. That's it. Once it gets to your great grandkids, you're practically dead by that time. And so I just think by, by leaving your history and writing your family, your own particular history is extremely important, not only for your children, for your grandchildren, but also for all of those people who will come after you. They want to know. It's really interesting how people's hearts are turned to those ancestors who have passed on. We want to know about their lives. We want to know about the things that they were interested in. We want to know about the things that they were good at and that how they developed their talents and did they go to college or did they not or what did they learn? And it makes them come alive and you feel like you're a part of this big family and all of us want to feel part of something bigger than ourselves. Did I answer that question for you? Yes, and actually there's a really interesting statistic that I found recently that when you look at four or five generations back, you actually are related to more than 4,000 people in your family tree. And that's just grandparents and great-grandparents and, you know, great-grandparents, you know, four times removed. And I just find that completely mind-boggling that I have descended from that many people. It is. And there's also a program, myheritage.com. You can go in there and you can put your picture in. And then if they have pictures of a lot of your ancestors, they will show you who you look the most like. And they will give you percentages. Is it your mother, your father, or a grandparent, or a great-grandparent, or an aunt or an uncle? And they'll put all of that into the database. And they'll bring up those pictures of those people that you um, resemble. So I think that's kind of fun too. I actually have a picture from my mother's mother's side, and it is a picture of a mother and a father and two or three children. One of those children looks almost exactly like my son. And I have posted that picture on 
on a genealogy site that I'm on. It's a it's called Southern Maryland Families to ask if anybody has that same picture, because I would love to know who these people are. And there's no notation. It, you know, there's nothing written on the back that says the date, though I'm assuming it's the late 1800s from the way the, the clothing looks. But it would be fascinating to find out how I am related to these people. So I'll have to make sure I look at that site. Well, first of all, the, the mere fact that you have something like this is fabulous. And it just shows you DNA. I mean, DNA is powerful and strong. And here, several generations later, your son looks like this individual. All right, we had a picture like this too. And on the back of it, there was a name. It was just a first name. That was it. So we made a bunch of copies of that picture of this woman. And we sent it to every known living relative asking the, the same kind of information that you are. And this was in the 80s. So it was before the internet and email and all the rest of it. So we did the snail mail thing. We sent the picture of them. And we eventually got information back. There were people that were still living. They definitely were older who remembered this woman. And we were able to track her down. So send out the picture of this person to as many people that are living as possible and ask them because I'm sure that somewhere, uh, someone along the line is going to know who that individual is. Kind of a lesson for us about the importance of putting names and dates on the back of pictures. And yes. you can get, special, you know, you can get special pens so that, um, you know, with, with ink that's not going to fade or whatever. Years ago, like during the eighties, my husband and I gave genealogy classes and, we told people anytime you do any writing, use cotton rag paper because you're, you know, with you, if you write on the ink and ink, of course, has acid in it, that if you get pens that uh, is a low acid that that will uh, and you write on the cotton rag paper, you'll be able to keep that for hundreds of years, actually. And what I think is interesting is we look at some of these photographs of people that, that you know, those photos were taken in the early 1800s. And look how well they are preserved in comparison to a lot of photographs today. And it's because of the acid that's in the, uh, the colored ink on the internet. So you don't have that problem anymore. Well, I, I didn't realize that, but that makes a lot of sense. I have started making sure I note names and dates on the back of pictures, but I'm going to have to look for a low acid pencil or pen because I remember when I was a little girl, my mother saying the same thing. I have no idea who these people are. I wish somebody had written the names on. And growing up, my mom always would write our names and the dates on back of pictures. And so that's just something that I grew up doing. Good for her. That was really smart because we have like a whole box of pictures that have no names, no dates, no nothing. And most of them are from my husband's side. He said, I have no clue. And we got this amazing, amazing book. It is very old. The pictures in it are very old, but we don't know who they are. All we know is that they are relatives, but we have no idea where they connect to us. So yes, that is a really important thing. And another thing is when you're Writing, if you're putting a picture online, if you have your own spot that you're putting, like I know a lot of people are on SmugMug, wherever you put those pictures, not only write the name of the people involved and the date, but also write something about it. I mean, some of them, it's, it's very easy to tell, you know, what, what is going on in the picture, but not everything. 
So give a description of that picture because you'll be surprised how much your ancestors will appreciate that, having that information. Like when you took your grandkids on that geocaching, I, yes, and I was talking to my husband about that and I loved that. But I, what I would do with those pictures, I would make certain for posterity that you put that whole thing down of what you were doing with your grandkids. Yes, that's a good You'll idea. Be surprised. People will want to know that. So we have our grandkids, uh, five of them up every other week. We have them there on Fridays and sat all day Saturday. So we take a bunch of pictures. And then what I do with those pictures, and I'm working on this right now, Costco, and I know Sam's Club, there's a number of them. Uh, Smug Mug has a thing, but Costco for, I think it's like $20, you can have uh, 19 pages. And you can put those pictures into a book and it's a hardcover book and you can put writing in with it. They have all the templates. All you have to do is drop in the pictures and they give you a space for writing. The thing is, I want my grandkids, you know, in 50 years from now, I want them to be able to look back on these books and to remember the, you know, all the different activities and the things that we did, that they did with us, their grandparents. We gave them one a year ago, and my, both of my sons and their wives have said that this is their very, very favorite book. So when they come up, you know, every other weekend, in their backpacks, they, they each of them bring that book with them. You're building a relationship, not only with your grandkids, but then you're building memories. And they have a visual representation of those memories that they, of those experiences that they had with you, their grandparents. I give my grandchildren every Christmas a book. Some of them are stories that I've written. Some of them are like one book for everybody, but it's personalized for each child. And there have been several years that I've done exactly what you've said. I've taken pictures of all of the activities that I've done with that particular child and put it in a book for them and then write the captions that tell the story of what those pictures are. And that's been their Christmas present. And I do that for a couple of reasons. One, just to show that connection so that when they're adults and I'm just a memory, they have a collection of the things, the activities that I did with them and that we did together. And I'm hoping that that helps them remember me in a positive light. But the other thing is that in an age of consumerism, where children tend to get a lot of gifts at Christmas time, I have always felt that my toy that I would give them would not rise above the noise of the other toys. So I wanted to give them something that nobody else could give them that came from my heart. And that's why I decided on every year I would write a book for them. Now, I may wind up spending more money on that book that I, than I would have if I bought a toy, but it's not something that's going to get broken or tossed aside after just a few, mo- a few months. So it's on their library shelf and it's something that will last for a long, long time, long after I'm gone. You know, I love that idea. That is so incredibly meaningful. And your children, your grandchildren will remember that forever. And they will share that with their children and their children will share that. Those will become such precious, such a precious, precious gift to them. You can't, you can't put any price tag on something like that. 
that is really, and plus the fact that you said that you made these personal, um, they're going to look back on those when they're away at college and they're away from their parents and their family. They're going to go back and they're going to look at all of those books that you gave them every year for Christmas and they are going to love it. And it's those kinds of things are the things that draw you to your grandchildren and them to you and to future generations. And you talked about the genealogy classes that you and your husband did. I used to have workshops that I would do with churches or with libraries or community organizations where I would help people tell their their personal stories. It wasn't a memoir writing class, but what I would do is ask each person to bring in anywhere from five to 10 pictures that were important to them. Might be their mother, it might be them when they were a little child in school, you know, whatever they wanted, you know, whatever 10 pictures spoke to them. And then what I helped them learn to do was what you were saying earlier is what, what is happening in that picture? Who are the players? What was going on outside? Like, for instance, if it is a picture of the Thanksgiving dinner, well, who cooked the dinner? How many people were there? Was it just, a? was that the only, only the people in that picture? Were they're the ones who were celebrating? Who brought, who carved the turkey? Why did that person carve the turkey and why not, you know, cousin Joe? And who brought the the cranberry sauce and what stories can you tell me about that picture? And it may just be something that that picture becomes the trigger for all of these stories. And so I would help people learn to look at the picture and tell the stories around those pictures. And I would limit it to five or 10 because it's amazing the stories that you can get out of one picture. And I didn't want it to become so overwhelming they would brainstorm at our session and then they were to go home and write the stories. And then after we did that for several weeks, they would then assemble their books into or assemble their stories into some sort of a book, even if it was just a three ring binder or if it was some kind of a diary that they wrote it in. But that became their memoir, their, their legacy, their story. And it's so easy to do that if you just set aside the time and make it happen. And I, this year, really want to build on the stories and the pictures that I've been doing with my grandchildren. So this year's book, this year's book for Christmas is a how-to genealogy for kids, how to get kids started on being interested in learning about their family history. And in my case, it's the death of their biological grandfather because the boys now are nine, eight, seven, and six, and they are beginning to ask me questions about their, their granddad and what was he like? And so that's part of their Christmas present as well as my writing stories about him and including pictures of him as part of their Christmas, part of the Christmas book that I'm giving to them. Oh my gosh, that is amazing. That will be cherished, <laughs> totally cherished. I love this idea that you you go to this much time and effort and work. That is a, an act of true love for your grandkids. And I love the way that you, that in the classes that you taught, that you had them start with 10 pictures. And that is the perfect way to introduce genealogy, whether it's a small child or whether it's an adult, to bring 10 pictures that really mean something to, the, to them 
individually and then to write the history behind it. And you know, they don't have to actually take a pen and pencil and actually write, they can do it on the computer. You know, children nowadays, they're, they're very comfortable with writing on the computer and you can scan all those pictures in easily and drop them into a, a file or a, or a booklet or a book or whatever and then have the stories behind them. And that is what starts you on the road to loving and to want to be connected to um, your ancestors. It starts with a grandparent. It starts with a grandfather or a grandmother and the activities that you do. Yeah, so I think those are really, and, and you know, young children, I don't know your experience, Carolyn, but young children love the stories. So start with the stories of your ancestors, any stories that you can gather. Well, I'm impressed that you know so many stories about generations past. Like I, I know a couple of stories about my great grandparents, but that's pretty much it. I don't know how to find those stories online. That would be something I still need to do some work on, but I have lots of stories about my grandparents and about my parents and a few stories about my great grandparents. But beyond that, I don't have those stories. So do you know how to find them? Well, Ancestry.com, they have some stories. It depends on what you're depending on, on Ancestry and Family Search is that other people in your family tree have gone on there and that they have published the story. They have put the stories down, that they have put pictures. We just recently found some pictures on Ancestry.com that uh, were from my grandmother and her family. You know, her mother that was the one that, you know, I just told you about uh, with our grandkids, you know, the one that came from Sweden, there were pictures on there that I had never seen before. So if you have, and, and everyone says, well, I don't think I have anybody that's interested in genealogy in my family. Well, we thought the same thing until we went on to ancestry.com and family search and we saw all this information. And the other thing is my one daughter-in-law, she's a history major and now she does work for the university. My son teaches at that she's um, recording all of the stuff that has to do with Salisbury, uh, the, the city of Salisbury in Maryland. There are many different ways that you can find things. And my grandmother, actually, she compiled a book about her parents and her grandparents. So that was how we were able to get information. Then my husband's side, in the family Bible, there were all kinds of dates and there were like one or two sentences about these different family members. And that's how we found out about the relative that discovered uh, dustless chalk. So oh. once you start, it's almost like a scavenger hunt. Yeah, it's, you're going on a scavenger hunt. You're going on this amazing hunt and get your kids and your grandkids involved um, because they're real people. They're not just you know, it's not just a fictitious story. You're actually finding out information about real people. So if I would start with ancestry.com and go in there, uh, put in the names and the dates and everything of your family members, go to the sites where they have them and see if anyone has put in any stories about them. And you can do it that way. You can go to family search and do the same thing, or you can um, start talking to the oldest living relative as well. Like I said, we started back in the 80s. So we've been accumulating this mess. And when we were doing it in the 80s, no one in our family, in my family, my husband's family, no one was interested in what we were doing. But now they're all interested. <laughs> I want to tell you, uh, my, my late <laughs> husband died and I, I remarried. 
And my, my husband told me that his grandfather was an only child. Well, when he found out that I was interested in genealogy, he said, oh, you really should look up and study my family tree. I'd be interested. But my, my grandfather, my, my maternal grandfather was an only child. And so <laughs> I was, I was on ancestry.com and I was searching and I came upon an obituary in which his name was listed as the brother of this woman who had died. Well, he wasn't an only child. He had 12 brothers and sisters. My husband's jaw dropped. Yes. He's like, are you sure? And I like, well, it's Monmouth County, New Jersey. And that's where you said they're from. And there is his name. So in doing that and finding that piece of information, I then looked at, you know, I, I just did some more research and discovered a cousin and that cousin and Randy have become really good friends. And I wrote in the book that I'm giving the children for Christmas that his last name is Halland. And he've discovered that one of the passengers on the Mayflower is actually a descendant. And the name Halland is famous throughout the country his ancestors have held numerous patents. They've, they've invented a number of things. And a cousin of his actually wrote a book about their ancestors coming over on the Mayflower. And I actually have a copy of that book that I've read to my grandchildren. So there are stories out there and there are lots of surprises that you will find. So I, I just am fascinated with the whole idea of family history and learning about ancestors and passing that on. I really believe, as you have said, that your relatives, even though they died years ago, really come alive when you start finding interesting facts about them and finding interesting stories. And I think it's important for children to know that they're part of something larger than themselves. Exactly. And I love the idea that, or the, the story about the, the relatives coming over on the Mayflower. I mean, there would be so much that you could, could tell your uh, children and grandchildren about that story. There's also um, many people, actually in my family, uh, I'm a member of the Daughters of the American Revolution. The DAR is called DAR for short. And you go through a process to become a daughter of the American Revolution because you have to prove in your family tree that somebody fought in the American Revolution. Um, and so things like that, it gives you a certain amount of pride and appreciation for those people and the sacrifices they made. And think about, you know, I don't know how big the Mayflower was. Was it, was it about 100 feet? Anyway, it wasn't huge. So when you think about the sacrifices that those people made in coming from Europe all the way over to the America on that, that ship, is pretty daunting of what those, um, those people sacrificed. And I know that they were coming for religious freedoms, a lot of them at that time, but the stories behind your family, I mean, wouldn't you just die? Wouldn't you just love to have one of those ancestors, a book that they have written 
about their experiences. So those become very near and dear to us. And I, I think from our perspective, you know, we're grandparents. One of the things that I have found with our generation is that we want to be remembered. We want to know that our lives are making a difference and that when we're memories, our lives have made a difference. And it doesn't mean that we had to have invented something or we had to have done something great. We want to know that we've made a difference in the lives of our children and our grandchildren. And I think recording those stories and helping our grandchildren learn about why it's important to understand history. So for instance, one of the things that I've done in the book is I've said to the kids, or I've written in the book is use your imagination and make up stories based on facts and based on your imagination. Whereas I might know that my four times great grandfather fought in the revolution. I may know he fought at Yorktown, but I don't know more than that. But I can use the facts that I know about Yorktown and I can make up a story and put him in it knowing the facts that I know and just make up the rest. But I have to be true to the history. And I want to help the kids learn about writing creative nonfiction. So it helps make those relatives long deceased become important to them because they can say, oh, my, my so many great grandfathers fought here and now I'm walking across this battleground and it makes it more important. One of the reasons that I'm so intentional about taking my grandchildren places and giving them experiences is because I think it makes history come alive to them. When my children were little, they went to Jamestown, they went to Williamsburg, we went to Monticello, we went to see the Liberty Bell, we went to all of these places where so much of the history of our, company, our country took place, so that when they were studying these places in school, they could say, oh, I've seen that Liberty Bell, I've seen that crack, and it makes it more real to them when they're studying history. So by taking the grandchildren to these different places and saying, your great-grandfather fought in this battle, or your great-grandfather helped design the structure that this Liberty Bell now stays in, I think that makes an impression on these kids and helps them want to learn more about our history and about the country and about the family. Absolutely. And I love the fact that you have this in, in your book for them about to develop a creative nonfiction story. Um, <clears throat> that's exactly what my, my second son, Ryan, did. He's the one who lives in Maryland and he's a professor. But he's written a couple of books and they've actually received, he's received awards and so forth. But he has used the stories that we, he's the one of my sons that's very interested in genealogy. And so he has used the stories that we have told him over the years and he has created um, short stories and, and fiction literature based on the stories of his ancestors. So you never know what's, what's going to happen, which one of your children or grandchildren are going to take the leap and, and love all of the things that you expose them to and that they wanna create a story as well. So I, I love it that you're doing the creative nonfiction. And I think that taking your grandchildren to all of these historical places, places that really have meaning, 
they will never forget that. And that will be a huge impact. And, and hopefully they will repeat that with their children and their grandchildren as well. And so the beat goes on. And I am really glad to be talking with you because this, this episode of the podcast, I'm going to upload for Thanksgiving day. I always drop the episodes on Thursdays and this one happens to be Thursday of Thanksgiving. And I really think it's appropriate to talk about families, our ancestors and our generations to come because we do want our, our kids to and our, our grandchildren to really be aware of all of the sacrifices that our ancestors have gone through and they, they've made and it might not have a direct impact on them but collectively it's part of who they are that dna is there and there's a little bit of everybody in them and i just want them to go forward being aware of where they belong in this world and how they can make a positive impact on the generations to come. Absolutely. And really emphasize when you post this on, on Thursday, Thanksgiving Day, this wonderful book that you're creating. And you should put some sample pages so that people can, that it's such an amazing concept and idea, especially for the 21st century. I just think that your grandchildren are going to love, and obviously they'd love to write in it up to this point and continue to write those stories. And 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now, those stories will be enjoyed by their children and grandchildren as well. So what you're doing as a grandparent is, is just amazing. It's, you're doing something that's going to last the ages. And like you said, we all want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And you are helping to make that possible. And it's fun. And they enjoy it. I mean, they love looking at pictures of themselves or looking at pictures of their parents when they were little and, and even pictures of me when I was little and they're like, Oh, you were that little, you were a baby. And <laughs> they can't, they can't quite comprehend that we were actually little children too. I know without wrinkles. Yes. <laughs> I know. It's funny how grandkids view us. So I need to do that. I need to get out some pictures of when I was younger and show them. They probably won't recognize them, but anyway, it'll be fun. How do, how do people get started? What would, how did you get started when you were doing this? It's like, what are the first steps? Now I know with all of the technology, it's much different from when you started, but for someone who's never thought about researching their family history, give, give us a few steps on how to get started? Well, like I said, we were doing it back in the 80s. So there was no ancestry. There was no family search. There was no my heritage. There was nothing because there was no internet. So what we did is what you were talking about. We started with the pictures. We, we got all of the pictures on both sides of the families. Then the next step, and we're adults, you know, we're adults doing this. And so the next step was to go and interview the oldest living person. And then if there was a picture that we we were particularly drawn to and we wanted the information. We made copies of that picture and we sent it out to every relative that we knew. And with our phone number and contact information so that they could call us, those, that was during the day and age where you actually picked up a phone, <laughs> you didn't text people. And so, so there were, nowadays, you know, information is a lightning speed. So you can, you can go on to these places and you can put in your name, a, a parent's name, a grandparent's name, 
And nine times out of 10, something is going to come up. And so that will give you the information, their birthday. And you had mentioned obituaries and obituaries when I was, when we started doing this in the eighties, obituaries were a big deal because uh, finding those obituaries. And back then we went to the, the library and used microfiche to try and find all of those obituaries. And so that was a very time consuming. Now, all of those obituaries are on ancestry or um, family search or something like that. So you as a parent or a grandparent have all this information at your fingertips, which my husband and I certainly did not have in the 80s. But I would start, which I do think is important, is uh, write your own history. You know, your grandkids, your kids, they're going to want to know your history. I'm sure you've told them bits and pieces as they've grown up and so forth, but get it down in writing so that they have that. And then, as I mentioned before, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but definitely interview the oldest living person. And you can still get tape recorders and you can still record them that way. Um, or you can record them and it can go right onto the computer as well, which is probably a much easier thing. And if the, you have any family Bibles, a lot of families um, have a family Bible or some kind of a family history book, get a hold of that and copy it off, whatever you need to do, put that in a, a three ring binder so that you have a copy of that book as well. Um, so it's, and just keep in mind that it takes time but it gets into your blood. When I was in college, I took a weaving class and I actually wove on a six harness Leclerc loom. And I remember very distinctly, the teacher was older and she says, once you start weaving, it will get into your blood and you'll wanna do it the rest of your life. So several years after I graduated from college, I actually bought a, four, a six harness Leclerc loom and started weaving. It's the same thing, only 10 times, 100 times more powerful with genealogy. Once you start uh, that are in your family tree, you want more and more and more information. And luckily you have at your disposal all of these different sources where you can get a lot of information. The other thing about ancestry, you can actually find people who are into genealogy in your family and who are also putting information onto ancestry or family search so that you are able to contact them and pick their brains and get information. So starting to gather genealogy information today is a thousand times easier. Um, I mentioned, I think Carolyn to you that we, there was a period of time where we hired a genealogist and it's not cheap and you don't have to do that anymore because there's so much information online that's at your disposal. All you have to do is go on there and start checking things out and looking. There is a fee on ancestry.com. It, it's um, tiered. You can look to see what you want from ancestry.com and you can choose one of those. That is, it is inexpensive. It's not expensive at all. And, and from there, you're able to download the pictures of your ancestors and then you can take those pictures. And again, uh, when you're interviewing the oldest family member, we had pictures of all of these different people that we were hoping that they could help us with. And they did. They helped us with a lot of them. And this new family that we just found out that we are re related to, they have a lot of stories that they're bringing. A lot of the members of that family are in their 70s and 80s. So we've been talking to them and picking their brain and getting information. And when you talked about this relative that was an only child that actually had 12 other siblings, those stories are interesting too, because those make our ancestors human. You know, mistakes are made, things happen, 
but it makes them human. It makes us feel better about the mistakes that we made, knowing that we all make mistakes. So that's an, that is a very, very interesting story that you'd want to keep around for posterity and an opportunity for an only child to get to know those stepbrothers and sisters. And those are all things when you start researching the family tree, you're going to find. But I would start with family search and ancestry. And they're both .com. Well, no, familysearches.org, ancestry is .com. And I would use those sources. The other thing that I want to add about ancestry, and, and you don't need to belong to ancestry to find this, but ancestry makes it a lot easier, is the US census records they provide a wealth of information, yeah. military records. When did a person serve in the military? What was the infantry number? You can find all of that information and also land records. Who owned what parcel of land? Who were the neighbors? Because often you'll find that families lived close by and adjoining farms. And then you find these other ancestors too. The, the other thing that I did is years ago, yeah. I did the DNA testing and found, and I, I pretty well knew from what my grandparents had told me where my ancestors came from. And sure enough, the DNA test confirms what my family had said. And then ancestry periodically, as they refine the DNA and they do their magic with it, they'll send me updates about what percentage of my ancestors came from Sweden or what percentage came from England or from France or whatever. So it's pretty exciting to see that worldview of where, where my roots are. We actually, my husband did it and then my son did it and I have the kit and I got to get my saliva into the kit and send it. But um, it was very interesting when my son did it because then, you know, he's having both sides, my husband and myself, and you're right, it's very interesting. And you get the percentages and it's interesting what can be traced through the DNA. And there's a lot of books out there on it as well. I hope this episode of the podcast inspires listeners to look through their bank of photographs and pick out a few and start writing the stories about those photographs and to pass that information along to their children and grandchildren and to encourage the the grandchildren to do the same thing is pick out just you know ask them to pick out one or two pictures and then write stories about it it not only helps you feel a part of your family and the larger family but it also is a communication between the generations and it just stretches the child's mind and the imagination about what's going on. It's not just facts. We're, we're learning how to write. We're learning to write stories. So I think there's so many lessons in being thankful about our family and, and just learning about where we came from. Carolyn, I'd like to add one other thing. You just uh, inspired me. One thing that I would, I'd like to bake and cook and I like doing that with my grandkids and also my kids. Check out and, and gather family recipes and take your recipes that you did as a mom or a grandmother and compile them into a book. When each one of my boys got married, I gave them this big cookbook I had gone through and I, had, I typed up all of the recipes as a family that we had made since they were young. And I put the history in every single one of the recipes so that who I got the recipe from, uh, how often I made that particular recipe, and I compiled it 
into this um, book for each one of them. And I put it in plastic uh, folders so that, you know, it would, would um, keep it safe and, and, and so forth. And each one of our kids have commented as well as my daughter-in-laws have commented how much that means to them. So if you're just thinking about what a recipe means to them with the history, think about the stories that you're gathering about those people and how much more people will love reading those stories about real people who lived. That's really a fun idea. There, my, my late husband was an executive chef when he was in the army. And then when he got out, he always cooked family dinners and we had big family gatherings. And (laughs) my children grew up believing that I don't know how to cook because their dad was always in the kitchen. And (laughs) they've only now just beginning to glimpse the fact that I actually do know how to cook a few things. But after their dad died, I took all of his recipes and I, I compiled a cookbook for them and I gave that to them for Christmas one year and his pictures on the front. And, but I didn't think about writing the stories about those recipes. That would have been a really, really nice addition. No, you can, I think it's a wonderful thing that you did that for your kids. You can easily go back and write a little history about them. They'd probably enjoy that as well. It's funny, our whole lives are, you know, eventually we all become history. And so it's nice to have a few of those things around so that we are remembered. When you talked about earlier about being remembered, um, I agree. And I, I think if it's you're remembered for your cooking or reading to your kids and your grandkids or taking them on a walk or whatever it is, those are memories that become uh, cherished memories for them and a way for them to remember us. And I think it's important that people understand that everybody has a story and it doesn't matter if your story impacted the five children or grandchildren that you have, or if it made international news, you are important to your family and the stories that you have are important to pass along. And I really, and this was one of the things that I found when I was doing these workshops years ago is people would say, oh, my story is not important. It's like, yeah, your story is important. And I think we just need to, to take advantage of the stories that we have and pass them along. I hope you have enjoyed today's episode of the Adventures with Grammy podcast. You will find the links to our guests and the topics we discussed in this episode's show notes. If you would like to be a guest, or if you know someone who would be an awesome guest, please connect with me at carolyn at adventureswithgrammy.com.